Hey there, welcome to Beyond the Couch with the real Dr. J. Hugh, a podcast dedicated to breaking the stigma of mental health, normalizing help seeking, and bringing you tips and tricks for living a thriving holistic life. I'm Dr. Christine J. Hugh, a licensed psychologist and host of the show. I'm pumped to bring you raw and real conversations with clinicians, mental health advocates, and people just like you. And it's all without the psychobabble. And just a quick caveat, this podcast is not mental health treatment, and it's not intended to be a substitute for mental health treatment. So you can check out the show notes for resources on finding a therapist in your area. All right, let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Couch. This is your host, Dr. Christine Jehu. And as always, I am thrilled that you're here for today's episode. We got a solo show today and we're doing some real talk about over-functioning. So the other day, a colleague um, in a conversation at work was mentioning that they are really focusing on not over-functioning in work this year. And it really caused me to pause and reflect on how I've been functioning, particularly within the last 18 months. So I'm, I'm realizing that I've been leaning into doing as a way of coping with this pandemic. So I'm an Enneagram 3, and if you don't know about Enneagram, it is a personality typing system that I'm pretty obsessed with. (laughs) It's far more robust than anything, actually, that I learned in graduate school, and I'm pretty salty that we didn't learn about it in school. But anyhow, the Enneagram, like as an Enneagram 3, I'm labeled as the achiever, and there's so much more that goes into what it means to be an Enneagram 3, but the label or the classification of an achiever really hits the nail on the head for me, for how I've been functioning in this season. So we're just going to keep it simplistic for the sake of this episode. So you know, as an Enneagram 3, as a Christine Jehu in this season, I have really been doing during this pandemic season rather than being. I've been creating things at work. I've really been leaning into the achievement side of things, like not even as a way of gaining status or credentials, but more to show a product of the work that I've been putting in and not really spending time on the being side of a human being, right? So I haven't really been being and reflecting. And I've noticed that I have hardly used my journal this year, which is pretty, I don't know, like what the word is. Um, It's kind of eye-opening for me, you know, especially the season that we've all been in these last 18 months across the world, right? So we're almost nine months into 2021. And typically at this time of the year, I'm looking at my journal and wondering if I'm going to run out of space. So it's been hard for me to truly enjoy and sink into rest, relaxation and downtime here recently. And part of that is like really having time and space to sit down and reflect in that journal, right? And so even during downtimes, during those moments where I'm working on a puzzle or watching a movie, I've resisted the reflecting and truly getting real with myself. And I don't think that I'm alone in this. 
And I don't believe that that my situation is only about the pandemic. I have a lot of work to do in processing loss and trauma that if I'm being honest with myself, that's been present since around 2014 when my dad died and maybe even a little bit before that. So I've been in straight survival mode since then. And yeah, I've accomplished things. I've continued to engage in life, but it's not been my full self. Certainly has been me, right? I've I've been engaged with it. Um, but I think in some ways that Enneagram 3 achievement survival side of me has taken over and really leaned into the doing and not the being. And it's really made me sad as I've taken time in the last few weeks to really start taking a true look inward, even if it's been going slow. I want to be honest here and admit that um, there are places that I'm still feeling a little bit of resistance to digging in deep. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm really taking some time to be curious about overfunctioning and seeing how it's showing up and impacting my life and then how I want to be more intentional in how I'm living and really feel like I really feel like overfunctioning is much about the doing that keeps us from the being. So I also think that we have to to acknowledge that society has created a situation for women in particular to overfunction demanding that we like do all of the things right like with this projected expectation that we do all the things with ease and while looking nice and put together and that we don't complain about it and still meet and support the emotional needs of others right and and I don't think any bit of this is healthy just to be clear <laughs> um, but I wanted to mention it for everyone who's listening to consider how um, to consider gender roles, right, and how we fall into them and how we perpetuate them, particularly as we're thinking about overfunctioning. Okay, so I'm sitting in this place of recognizing that there's overfunctioning happening, um, really wanting to lean more into the being, being present, engaging with life more fully. And, you know, the doing's always going to be there, right? I think um, we're going to be doing, but really wanting to live more fully in the being. So for me, when I've, I've been thinking about over-functioning, a couple of things come to mind. One, um, it's going above and beyond what's being asked of you. Two, it's putting in extra hours more often than not at work, at home, or in relationships. Three, borderlining on burnout 99% of the time. And then four, sacrificing needs in some form. So I think it can be confusing because we still may be getting some of our needs met. And there's probably praise for the achievements or the extra hours that we're putting in. And we're not fully burnt out. But it's problematic because while some of our, be some of our needs are being met, not all of our needs are being met. And the achievements or extra hours are being praised, but it's likely that there is not an acknowledgement of the sacrifice that went along with making all of these pieces happening happen. And then flirting with burnout 99% of the time is not exactly a healthy place to sit. <laughs> so as I dug into some research around overfunctioning, a couple of things stood out. First, it's that 
overfunctioners are usually seen as people who have it all together, are detail oriented, are organized, reliable, and are typically viewed as being reliable workers, partners, and parents. And this can be really attractive to others, right? And it likely gets us attention and reinforces these behaviors all while we continue to flirt with that burnout, right? And and experience further detachment from ourself as we focus on the doing versus the being. So while there are some good things to this, right? Or, um, you know, some socially acceptable pieces and we're getting acknowledgement and, and praise, it's also not sustainable long-term, right? So the second one is that over-functioners tend to attract Wait, am I saying this right? Overfunctioners tend to attract underfunctioners in relationship. So the overfunctioners are taking on all of the things, right? Which that allows underfunctioners to remain where they are. And as this dynamic persists, it can cause a lot of resentment within the overfunctioner. So then we have this really mismatched and unbalanced relationship dynamic that, again, may work in the short term, it may work to get some needs met, but there's that that imbalance, right? And so both both partners aren't going to be happy, healthy, functioning, thriving humans. And that piece of resentment for the overfunctioner is is a key piece here. So three, overfunctioning can be rooted in anxiety and the behaviors and actions of overfunctioning works to ease that anxiety in ourself, in those around us, or both, right? Some of the overfunctioning may be a reaction to another person's anxiety. So maybe the overfunctioner doesn't um, doesn't necessarily like experience a baseline level of anxiety on the day-to-day, but they may be overfunctioning in effort to ease that in their partner or a family member or a coworker or something, right? And then four, this overfunctioning can have a real negative impact on our health. So I read um, an article that an MD was saying that the ways that they have seen our health being impacted in overfunctioners is overeating or undereating, eating to change an emotional state. We've got high cortisol, high insulin, high glucose, potentially more body fat uh, or belly fat, I'm sorry weight loss resistance, hypothyroidism, low libido, PMS, and the list could go on, right? So there's truly, right, that that piece of sitting and flirting with burnout and being 99% close to burnout chronically, that's that's not doing good stuff for our body, right? So we, we need to check in with this and see how we're doing. So those are some of the four things that stood out. Certainly, it's not everything, um, but for the sake of this episode. Okay, so I I understand that some of these pieces can be a little bit heavy. Um, So before we go on and talk about some of what we can do, and I'm, I'm very intentionally saying we because I'm on this mission to embrace these tools too, right? I've, I've recognized that I am in a season of overfunctioning. And so I want to very clearly say that if what we're talking about today resonates with you or gives you that punch in the gut feeling, there is nothing wrong with you. You do not have a diagnosable condition. You are not a failure. None of that. Okay. So if if that's where your head is going, I want to invite you to 
to tell it to shut up, <laughs> tell that voice into your head to cut it out. Um, because we we don't have a diagnosis in the DSM for overfunctioning. And if you don't know, the DSM is the Diagnostical Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders. And so it's it's where we have the list of all the diagnoses and the clusters of criterion for each diagnosis. Um, so we don't have a diagnosis. But what we do have is the ability to step back, to breathe, and to invite ourselves to be curious and honest with where we are and then consider what we want to do about it. Okay, so we're going to take a deep breath together. So I'm, I'm going to count us through this. So go ahead and take a deep breath in. One, two, three. And then let's take a slow exhale out. One, two, three, four. Okay, <laughs> let's take a look at some of the ways we can take action. So I have... Six, six different areas that we're going to talk about. And first is curious observation. And so this is where we can really take inventory of our life and our relationships and be curious about where overfunctioning is showing up. What are some of the, the triggers for overfunctioning, right? What is the impact in your life when you lean into overfunctioning? Most importantly, and if you've been here for a while, you know this, we're doing this with an eye of curiosity and not judgment. There's no sense here in beating ourselves up for something when we're entering in with a focus and desire to create positive shifts in our life, okay? So I want you to be nice to yourself and be curious. Just take inventory of everything that's going on. And maybe you pull out a notebook and you just start journaling or you write down you know, this inventory of your life and your relationships and, and being curious about this overfunctioning and what triggers there might be for you. So the second one is to connect with yourself. So we can start with a breathing exercise, kind of like I did before we, we jumped into this. I really like four square breathing because it's simple and it only takes a couple of rounds to have a great impact on calming our nervous system. So if you don't know what four square breathing is, it's essentially the idea that you take a slow inhale in for a count of four, you pause for a count of four, and you exhale out for a count of four, and then pause again for a count of four. And so if we were like, I call it four square because you can think about drawing a square in your mind. So up on the four, draw the top of the box for the pause for the four, come down on the other side of the square for four, and then you close the bottom of the square with that pause. Um, and so a couple of tricks here is that oftentimes I find that people have a hard time getting to the four count from the jump. So you could start with a small square, counts of one, and then build the counts of two, build the counts of three, and up to counts of four. Four tends to be a sweet spot, but if you are used to doing some yoga breathing, sometimes there's longer inhales for seven, exhales for 12, whatever is going to work for you. But I like to start it with the four square because it's simple um, to get started with. So you can build up to it. And then on the exhale, if you think about blowing like exhaling out through a straw. So this more concentrated exhale, rather than what I have found in myself is that that pause can become um, a little bit long. And so when the invitation to exhale is there, I can just let it all out. So if you try to think of this 
more slow and controlled exhale out through a straw, that can be really helpful. And as I mentioned that, if if at any point when you're doing a breathing exercise, if you find that you're good with the inhale and exhale of four, but the pause of four is long for you, then shrink it into a rectangle and make the pauses a little bit shorter. The whole point of a breathing exercise is to bring in your parasympathetic nervous system. And so if it's actually causing you more distress, if your heart is racing and you're, you know, you go through a couple of rounds and you are feeling far more activated than you are calm, then this may not be the practice for you. So maybe it's, you know, just trying to breathe naturally and get into that belly breathing, right? So bringing your breath from your throat to your chest and then from your chest down to your, to your abdomen whatever is going to work for you. Okay. So I just wanted to offer that, that, um, the tool of the four square breathing. So connecting with ourselves, we're going to start a breathing exercise or whatever sort of exercise works for you to be calm and present. That's that, that, that being right, that existing piece that I think we're missing in our over-functioning. Okay. So it just, it's, it's simple to invite us into the present moment and it doesn't have to take a long time. Like that four square breathing, when I teach it to my athletes, it it takes us less than two minutes. And most people experience a really impactful calming sensation during it. Okay. And so then we want to engage with self-compassion. And this is where, again, as I mentioned in number one, we're not going to judge ourselves. We're not going to be a jerk. There's no sense in beating ourselves up. This is an opportunity to acknowledge what's been challenging, that your responses have likely been rooted in some level of survival, and you can begin to take a shift towards a willingness to do something different. So we can go from survival efforts to leaning into taking steps to thrive within our life. Okay. So step one, we've got curious observations. Step two, connect with yourself. Um, And, you know, maybe the connecting with yourself comes before the curious observation because you want to get into that breathing. These aren't necessarily written in a specific order. (laughs) Okay. So the third piece, um, the third piece you definitely want to do after you've done some curious observation, and this is identify how you actually want to behave, right? So we're going to take notes. We're going to be really specific. We're literally going to write the script for the changes and shifts that you want to welcome into your life. Those triggers that you've identified in the observation step, take some, some time to write down how you want to approach these triggers going forward. Is there an opportunity to make changes in your life that would remove these triggers or that would allow you to move through the world differently so that you're not approaching these triggers? Now, this isn't avoidance. This is intentional adjustment of your life. If you recognize that there's a trigger that like really doesn't need to be there. Okay. So if you can't um, make adjustments and that trigger is going to be there, let's identify how your ideal self will want to respond and address these triggers. Again, we're taking notes, we're getting specific, and we're writing a script, literally write the script for how you want to show up. And then the next part of that is to start taking action to live this version of yourself out, right? This ideal version of yourself. And we want to have grace because it's going to take time. And 
it's going to take time because we're rewriting these behavior scripts, these patterns that we have created in our life that we've recognized aren't serving us. We're going to rewrite those, okay, and bring in this ideal version of ourselves. And we're not doing it all at once, right? <laughs> we're going to pick one and we're going to tackle that. And then as that becomes more of an everyday occurrence, right, like that becomes our new response pattern that's healthy for us, then we're going to shift to the next one, okay? You're not going to do all of these things all at once. <laughs> okay, so step three was identifying how you want to behave. And step four, let's go check in on our health, like literally go to the doctor. Because if you remember earlier, I talked about those negative implications on our health. So we want to get that checked out. We want to like speak with our doctor and find out if there's something going on, um, you know, with our health and well-being that we that we can have addressed. We want to do a curious evaluation of our health behaviors, such as our eating, our sleeping, and exercise. Start to really understand what your body is telling you about how you're doing. So where are you holding your stress? For me, for some reason, my quads get really tight when I'm stressed out. How, how is your body responding to situations where you recognize that there's overfunctioning happening or there more distressful situations, right? Are you getting a stomach ache? Are you having diarrhea? Is your jaw clenched? Like pay attention to those pieces because it's going to indicate to you that there's an opportunity to do something different in these situations, or it's telling you that there's a threat or something is not aligned. Okay. Our body has so much to tell us, but I think we have been conditioned in our society to disconnect the cognitive from the physical, right? Like we might think, hey, something's wrong or nothing's wrong, but our body's telling us different. So let's let's start to pay attention, more attention to our body. Okay, so we're going to check in on our health. And then number five is an opportunity to reset expectations. Okay, so some of this, if we're looking at how over over-functioning is showing up in our relationship. Maybe we need to be curious about what our expectations have been within these relationships and how do they need to shift, right? And how do they need to shift in a way that is going to promote you engaging in functioning, but not over-functioning and making sure your needs are getting met. So resetting these expectations may be setting boundaries and saying no. Okay, so we we did that exercise above with how do we want to behave, right? Being curious about our ideal self. And so if something isn't aligned with your ideal self, then it's a no. If it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. <laughs> um, another thing you can do in this in this set step not set. My words are having a hard time today. Um, is to do a calendar audit. So I was listening to a podcast called The Next Right Thing with Emily P. Freeman, and she was talking about overfunctioning. And she didn't necessarily call this a calendar audit, um, but that's what I thought of when I heard her four steps. So what she does, and she does these in order. So she looks at her calendar and asks, what has to continue? So what are the things that I cannot take off the calendar? Right. So Maybe we're, we're not taking off, we're not taking work off unless you have some PTO that you want to use. If you've got kiddos, you can't just like leave them stranded at school or whatever, you know, so what are the things that have to continue? So then after number one, you can look at what are the things that I can pause, right? Not everything has to be in all the time. It could be in a season. And so maybe this is a season where we need to pause X, Y, Z, Okay. 
So after we've identified what has to continue, what can you pause? What can you say no to, right? Like that's that boundary setting I just talked about. So what are the hard no's? And then where can you ask for help? Okay, so some sometimes there are things that have to continue that you can't pause and you can't say no to it, right? Like picking your kids up. But maybe what you could do is look at who else is on the soccer team that lives nearby? Who else goes to the school who lives nearby? Could we do a carpool situation where you do the driving on Monday and Wednesday and they do the driving on Tuesday and Thursday and then you rotate your Fridays? Like, I don't know. Like be creative, (laughs) figure those pieces out, right? So where can you ask for help? And I want you to think about where you can ask for help emotionally, spiritually, physically, logistically, right? That carpool idea was logistics, but physically, maybe, um, maybe you hire a trainer, right? Because you've recognized that you need to be present in your body and, and do some work there. Um, and not just work, but like caring for yourself, right? Um, So could you hire a trainer or maybe it's uh, getting some friends in the neighborhood to go to hold one another accountable and go for walks three times a week, right? Do you need some support spiritually, right? Do you need to, to lean into a spiritual advisor or pick up a book, right? Like what are, what are these things that you can do where you can ask for help? I thought those were really fantastic um, suggestions there that Emily had. And then finally, number six is support, which kind of goes into that last piece of where can I ask for help, right? So do you have a trusted friend or a family member who can hold you accountable or can be um, a safe space for you to verbally process, right? And not necessarily have to fix something who can encourage you to lean into the being rather than the doing. They might be that person that can give you that gentle nudge of, hey, I know you're really striving to be present. We're here together and I'm recognizing you're leaning into the doing. How can I support you in the being? Therapy right? Like we are here on beyond the couch to break the stigma of mental health and normalize help seeking. So like go to therapy. (laughs) That is a fantastic safe place, a third party who doesn't know all of the shit from your life. And they can really help you unpack this, um, focus on you, uh, support again with spiritual connection. What do you need on that level? And then intentionally connecting with friends and family, really, again, that being side of the human being and not the doing. So we've got those three, those six ways um, that we can start to put some action into reversing this overfunctioning. One, it's that curious observation. Two, connecting with yourself. Three, identify that ideal self, how you actually want to behave. Four, checking in on your health, that physical health, going to the doctor. Five, reset your expectations. And six, getting some support. So there we have it. You know, overfunctioning can really be a beast. And trust me, I'm in it with you. I'm working through the steps that we've talked about above just as you are so that we're in it together. And before we sign off, I have a huge favor to ask. Will you head over to the Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show? I'm so thankful for all of you who are dropping five stars. There's a bunch of them in there. And I would love it if you could also write a review. When we have five stars plus words, that really helps us get listed on the charts in Apple Podcasts. And when we're bumped up to the top, it means that the show is being recommended to more people and that it helps us spread the mission of breaking the stigma of mental health and normalizing help seeking. So if you could, please drop those five stars, leave a couple of words in the review. And if you do that and you screenshot it, 
send me a DM on Instagram. I might just have a little thank you to drop in the mail for you. So I appreciate you so much. Until next week. All right, friends. Thanks for joining in on another conversation beyond the couch. I'd love to hear your takeaways from today's episode. So if you would take a screenshot and share it in your Instagram stories and be sure to tag me at the real Dr. Jehu. I can't wait to connect with you. All right, we'll talk soon.